Like, well, why don't we try to do a celebrity swag bag subscription and, you know, launch with 2,000 units in spring of 2013. Sold out of those 2,000 within two days. Katie and another team member did not think we were going to sell out of 2,000. So they ended up putting all the best products in the first 12 or 1,300 boxes. And we had bloggers post pictures of the box saying, this is the Fun box. Then we had customers complain, well, my box doesn't look like this box. Daniel Brukeem and Katie Rosen Kitchens are the co-founders of the wildly successful lifestyle subscription platform FabFitFun, together with Daniel's brother and their third co-founder, Michael, who couldn't be here today because he couldn't fit in the room. They have recently launched in the UK. Its flagship product, the FabFitFun Box, delivers a curated collection of full-size products across beauty, fashion, wellness, fitness, home technology, and beyond, which I'm guessing is your favorite category, right? Beyond Always. category? Yes. Yeah. Um, to more than 1 million members every season. Is that right? Numbers good? Yes. Y- yeah, at least a million. That's, at least you know, a million. We were, we were there last year. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. you know, this is coming out towards the end of the year, so at least 10 million. <laughs> big, big numbers. Sounds right. Yeah, it does. It sounds spot on. Uh, they're now in the 10th year of trading. We're right there? Uh, yeah, we launched in December of 2010. 2010 right? yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so now in their 10th year of trading and have surpassed $200 million in revenue and closed the most remarkably whopping Series A of $80 million, led by some of the best venture capitalists in America. But we can come all to all of this shortly. So should we get cracking instead? Welcome to the show. Thank you. Very Welcome excited to Welcome to the be studio. Here. Yeah, mm-hmm. is this uh, is this this is your first day back in in the UK or second day for me? So flew in um, yesterday morning and I fly out tomorrow night. So a quick trip across the pond. Okay, yeah. I mean, successful founders optimizing their time. Nothing new there. Good. I haven't had the pleasure of interviewing co-founders yet, so I'm hoping that you guys go easy. Although Daniel, you've already told me that you're just gonna let Katie just answer. I defer, defer any, to her. Defer and to her, her infinite wisdom. Okay. No reason so, to change things today. No, exactly. <laughs> uh, right. So, how about some quick-fire questions? What I'm going to do is, uh, Katie, you answer them, and Daniel, whenever you disagree, just pipe up. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Katie, beauty or fashion? Both, but a little more beauty. Agree. Agree. Very good. He's well-trained. Excellent. It's taken 10 years. Yeah, it's just impressive. <laughs> I like that you put a bowl of water down in the corner for him as well. It's, uh, Everybody a good needs move. a treat now. <laughs> uh, wellness or fitness? Wellness. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Wait, you didn't even let me know. No, you're not. Yeah, you know, you look like it was the same answer. Uh, dogs or cats, though? Dogs. Fine, dogs, of course, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, favorite book or film? I mean, if this is the same for you, that's kind of sad. Oh, God. I'm such a crazy pop culture junkie. Um, but I love a late 80s um, flick. So maybe a Breakfast Club, for example. One okay. of my babes. Okay. If we're doing movies, I'd say City of God for me. Oh, great. Top, yeah. Great. Cool. Yeah. Have, do I have better taste than her? Is that is that what you... I, I mean, based, I, based on that, I, sure. I mean, humor is something that some of us understand. I don't know. Sometimes it doesn't always run in the co-founder family. Sure. So, I mean, you, you know, you've got a curated box. So, if it was uh, movies being curated, i take mine from Daniel. Oh, God. Month. You have no idea. Okay. All right. Okay. We'll come on to that later. Let's not get competitive just yet. Favorite subscription services that aren't yours? Netflix. Spotify. Again, because of the podcast. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of with you. Oh, they're both great. They're both great. Uh, biggest inspiration other than each other? My parents. Katie, be hilarious if you said her parents. <laughs> <laughs> Katie's parents. There we go. Excellent. There Katie's we go. parents. Right. Everyone's biggest inspiration is Katie's parents. Good. <laughs> now that we've got you all warmed up, uh, how did you guys meet? 
So we were introduced by a mutual friend, my old boss, um, who was actually going to um, be part of FabFitFun with Mike and Dan, and his TV show ended up getting picked up. So um, he introduced me to the brothers and was all history after that. Yeah, it was a sort of coalition of folks uh, initially who were working on FabFitFun as a digital property that was more of a media play. And uh, Katie was actually the uh, initial voice of the brand and And still the voice of the brand today. Well, I think about, you know, if you think about 10 years ago, it was sort of a different world when Glossies very much ruled it. It was very much a directive of, you know, what you were supposed to look like and how you were supposed to act. Um, And for me, as someone who felt like maybe didn't quite fit that mold, but still really loved everything about beauty, fashion and fitness, we wanted to create, you know, a different kind of space, you know, sort of just like your best friend that happened to know everything about those categories. Okay, and uh, this this show that he went on to produce instead? What was that? Nothing successful. Okay. Because I have I have I have picked up two shows in your uh, in your bios that are literally two of my favorite shows of all time. Oh me personally. Well, you and you. Oh, okay. Uh, you had uh curb your enthusiasm in yours. Yeah, no, so in, oh, your class. in college <laughs> yes. I actually created and taught a course on curb your enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the crazy thing is, I, so I went to UC Berkeley, and they let students teach courses for credit as long as they get another professor to sign off on the validity of the class. And so we did uh, uh, the sociology of Larry David's Curb Your Enthusiasm, which was basically us watching two episodes and then chit-chatting about the episodes for an hour after. And, and people use this to graduate uh, from university. Okay, so you've met um, in this early stages with a, with a sort of different founding team then? Well, it, so it, it, it was... It was it, 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 it's, there's a sort of long, uh, I'd say, sorted history. Uh, <laughs> 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 Don't bother uh, with the long, get straight let's to the get sorted. To, so, sorted and so snappy. Was a, uh, we were running a digital agency. Katie was working on uh, Agency Project, which was you know a joint venture that we had started with a, a few people who were working on FabFitFun. And Katie was with that team. We connected through that process. And then eventually, uh, we took FabFitFun over as a project and uh, made it our own. Uh, and then united with uh, me, my brother Mike, and Katie uh, as co-founders to uh, launch a digital newsletter that was akin to sort of a daily candy for uh, wellness. Uh, and what was that called? It was called FabFitFun. It was. Yeah, it was called. So the name was, the name and the brand is is what has persisted. The business has changed drastically. And then a few years into that project, you know, we were looking at the newsletter landscape. We're seeing a lot of the newsletter shutter. It wasn't a great business. Uh, CPMs were falling. We're like, okay, well, we have this brand. We have this voice. What's a cool thing that we could do? And we're like, well, the subscription box business looks good. And we keep going to these VIP events where... Uh, we're getting these swag bags, so celebrity swag bags, and there's a lot of value in there. And when we're looking at the subscription box landscape, there's not a lot of people doing full-size products across lifestyle categories. They're very focused on a specific category. So it might be beauty samples or clothing or food, but no one really catering to every part or angle of your life. And so we're like, well, why don't we try to do a sort of celebrity celebrity swag bag subscription and, uh, you know, launched with 2,000 units in spring of 2013, sold out of those 2,000 within two days, which everyone was shocked by. And I have a very, you know, it's a funny story around that, but that might be too much for, for this podcast. But uh, everyone Wait, was shocked. It's too, it's too funny for this podcast. Well, no, it was really good because even Katie, you know, Katie and another team member did not think we were going to sell out of 2,000. And so they ended up putting all the best products in the first initial, I'd say, twelve or 1,300 boxes. Right. And then the back half were much worse products. 
And so, uh, and we had bloggers post, and this is a very early customer lesson for us. We had bloggers post pictures of the box saying, this is the FabFitFun box. And then we had customers complain, well, my box doesn't look like this box. It's much worse than this box. And then we're like, well, how did that happen? Well, the, the best boxes were front-loaded because there was a theory that we might not sell out of these boxes. And so we got a lot of customer complaints, and then we took that as a learning lesson. And immediately we gave every one of the, the, the folks, and I'm not trying to, by the way, it, it, selling out of 2000, we're all surprised. Yeah. You know, have it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we it made, wasn't all Katie's fault. No, no, it wasn't, it wasn't. It wasn't her. We had no, another. I just get all the blame. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> to be fair, you've got to take the blame. There, too. There, there yeah. was, no, no, it's not to blame. I think it was just miscommunication amongst us. Okay. And sell out of the boxes. But what we ended up doing, and, and this is a lot to Katie's credit and to Mike's credit, it was a very customer-friendly approach that we've developed for, for the organization, I think, that sort of drives us. We have a customer value called Members Queen, right? And uh, we said, you know what? This was an oversight on our end, and we gave them their next box free. Nice. And even though it was very, very painful at the time because we actually had no money, we hadn't taken outside funding, I think that early lesson has helped us actually grow an amazing business. Uh, yeah, I, I'd say like those early sort of painful moments where um, you, I guess, uh, have the modesty to underestimate your uh, impact and then how you reflect with your customer base and how you actually make them still feel special after that is a great sign of a fledgling business learning very quickly how to become a superstar. Before we get too heavily into uh, the brilliance of FabFitFun, my words, not yours, um, I'm sure you have other descriptors of your own. I just want to go back, uh, you know, like starting back at the early stages, you talked about 2010 and the next thing you said was 2013. So this is three years of developing a newsletter. It was a newsletter. It was a digital agency. There was a lot of sort of. I mean, we we sort of it, yeah. we. It was funny because the newsletter fab fit funny business was starting to decline. So really developing it into just a website, a destination that people were going to come every day, you know, to find their daily content around all things beauty, fashion, fitness, wellness, home and tech. And I mean, and that was you know really tips and tricks to living your best life. To a certain extent, the newsletter was a part of the things we were working on in the context of a larger business and grew it more slowly. It's interesting because I read I read something recently that really made me think, which was uh, that uh, millennials are considering emails essentially their new social media, as in the newsletter is making such a comeback because yeah. people are so pissed off with social media in general and there's just so much crap out there. So you go find your trusted source and you get your daily or weekly newsletter from them and I just found that such an interesting way to position it because as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, my God, I do that. Yeah. I subscribe to a bunch of newsletters and I don't even bother going on like Daily Mail or BBC or whatever. I just go to like those that, that opinion leader I trust yep. is done like he or she has done that research in that thing I'm interested in. I'll just read what they have to say. And it's really odd because that's like a I remember it being daily candy time and that being normal and then not normal for a long time. Now it's just like blowing up again. Well, it's interesting. I mean, we still actually do a newsletter where mm. we create a lot of content. But I think for us, you know, when we talk about community, which is like a huge part of our landscape, you know, it's a little less traditional than most brands because most of the time people are talking about community in the sense of their social media platforms. And look, we have a great Instagram, lovely Facebook, Twitter, and all of that. But I do think, you know, people are tired of it, right? It's so um, 
over curated and it feels like such a perfected version of people that it's no longer satisfying. And I think what we found is that, you know, we built out this dashboard where originally people could log in and find out when their next box shipped. Um, but since added all of these really amazing community forums where our women are on their day and night, and look, you're not going to post about your last breakup on Instagram. You know, you're not going to talk about the fact that you're going through anxiety or depression. Um, it just, it's not that kind of safe space. I think for us, you know, our community is actually where we're having those discussions these days. And it's really exciting to see members embrace that with each other. There's obviously a turning point where you guys are having a conversation where, look, this is working, but it's not Big oh problem. yeah, we we had we had we had, right? we had many conversations right. at that point, and, and so this is kind of where I want to get. Was to. no fun. I mean, yeah. it was not a great business. But this is where I want to get yeah. to. Is like you know, what is what is that moment where you guys are like, look, we need to do something, right? As in, uh, we've got serious ambitions. We want to build a big company. Like this isn't going to be it. How are we going to make? I, it? I think like, it was it was is probably so December twenty ten. I think it probably happened towards the end of. 2011 or so even and then there was a long period of time where we we're just dealing with different things then there's and i said this is choking assorted history we had you know a few other co-founders and people were sort of in and out of the business but we were all sort of aligned that at a certain point that we realized that the that the newsletter business was not the one that was going to carry us forward in the long run and uh once we had those discussions and came to that realization uh there was a certain level of clarity of like okay well we got to take a shot on what's next and uh well, you we know, took more than one shot i mean there was the idea have a branded clothing line. Dan and I went downtown. Yeah, that's a fair point. So Katie and I, we, we, we took more than one shot, but they were they, they were sort of like, we had sort of some success with that. Like Katie and I went to downtown LA. This is a great point. And we we even tested a Fun clothing line and we sort of sold out some of the products. Yep. And I then mean, people were obsessed yeah. with it. It was like, all right, maybe this is the next piece of the, the yeah. business, you know? And I think we were playing with different ideas. I think that the fact that the box sold out so quickly yeah. was a pretty clear indication that this was something that our readers had a huge appetite for. And I think we we sort of set ourselves up in a place that was pretty awesome because, you know, they believed that we were authorities in beauty, fashion, and fitness. So it was very easy for them to accept that we were then going to hand them the best products in the market. Yeah, yeah and I think to, to speak to your question, so there, there was these like – come to Jesus moments and, and sort of like, well, this is not working, right? How are we going to fund our lives? How are we going to fund this business? There was sort of like a little bit of a petering out of, you know, like, okay, well, you know, not all of us can run this together now and and, and those types of things. And sort of a few people went their, their separate ways. And then it just was one of those decisions at some point, well, we, we got to, we tried the, the clothing thing a little, but we got to try, try something else. And like we had played around with the box business idea for a few years at that point. And then we thought, well, we're going to run out of cash at some some level here. And it, it sounds as crazy. you were buying too many Lamborghinis. No Lamborghinis. I was living at home. Like, you know, uh, personally didn't take a salary for five plus years. And we're going to run out of cash. And there was a thought like that we had, you know, it was a discussion with, you know, Katie and Mike. And, uh, you know, well, if we, if we sell out of 2,000 boxes and like, you know, that's 50 bucks. And we're getting a lot. We were getting a lot of the products. We, we were able to sort of scrounge them up, Right. It was also not only did we believe in the idea, but we're like, well, maybe we can start paying for things, right? We'll have some money. And we sold out of the 2000 and that gave us the, the financing to keep running the business. And we ran very, very – people know this a little, but we ran very, very lean for a long time. So uh, from 2010, from when we were sort of you know leveraging the agency business to fund the cash flows of, of Fafit Fund as a digital newsletter and, and sort of run the business itself all the way to 2015 – 
when we launched our first first round of financing, you know, we were we were more or less self financing the company uh, through through its own operations. And so we had to make that decision to sort of, okay, well, we need to do something to generate more revenue because the ad sales business, the newsletter business is not that good. And even though we had something that resonated with consumers as a brand, and then once we saw, well, this works, and it's just a very quick switch. We were like, okay, well, we just sold out of 2,000 boxes in two days. Like, how do we sell more? And I remember at that moment, like, you know, we were all frantically panicking to get more product to keep selling that same box, Yeah, which was just a fool's errand because no one's like, we're not going to give you more product right now to sell more boxes. But like, we were so, we were so excited by, you know, the, the revenue that was being generated. We're like, okay, well, we got to capitalize on this moment because, because we had been starved for so long of revenue, right? The moment we saw it, we thought like, okay, right? Well, Let's not – who knows how long this will last. And how many people did you have at that point? I don't know. Less than 10. Yeah? Yeah. I don't even think it was 10 because like no, we, even, yeah. we even had a point in which we – in the agency business, we let people go yeah. because of the, the cash constraints. No, I think – And, so, this and was, so that was before. Yeah, so yeah. We had like a couple people. Like yeah. it was like two or three people we let go. We had and, some interns that were fantastic who are now directors at mm-hmm. FabFitFun. So yeah. we're very, very proud of that. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm, yeah. I'm curious. I, I can't – She's talking Judy about was you. an intern then? Judy was an intern. Yeah, I was an intern. <laughs> well, Actually, I interned for someone who runs a large part of our marketing team now. Oh, really? Which is kind of a funny yeah, yeah, yeah. story. Well, Judy was an intern, yeah, but Tasha was an intern at the yeah. time. Then Vanessa was an intern, and then Judy was an intern. Yeah. So we, we had uh, a couple employees and then some interns. And uh, so uh, it was like really a ragtag team. Yeah. 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 But, but at what, at what point, yeah. At what, yeah, but I guess you've got those people that are going through the experience of learning with you, therefore they become invaluable because they, they, they know that it's, you know, all hustle, yep. realistically. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months, and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. 
And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. At what point did you decide you need to go for angel funding? Was it angel funding? That was many. That was down the line where we were running the business pretty aggressively and our ambitions far exceeded our what we were able to do with the cash that we had in the bank. Yeah. And and this is something I, I don't think I've shared publicly. Uh, do you want to look yeah. straight at the camera as you do this? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Look real sincere. So we, we were $1 million in debt when uh, we closed our financing the first time. Yeah. And so, like, we were running the business on credit cards. We are stretching every single payment. The first million that came in went right out the door. And so that was an interesting thing for us uh, and i think it created a lot of the financial pressure made it more difficult to sort of you know just to sleep right but like we also knew we had a good business and we had a lot of like we didn't spend a lot of time on the first fin- financing round because a lot of people who weren't super sold on necessarily the idea itself but like believed that the team that we had assembled and the traction was enough to like sort of where there's smoke there might be fire to give us just a small and, and sort of speaks to sort of a small amount of capital. Just give me an idea. So um, you were a million in debt, like spread everywhere or spread to a few suppliers? No, spread everywhere. We, right. we, we ran our credit cards really yeah, yeah. to their max. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we could probably kept rolling it over, but like there was a big balance. I, I don't even know if we could. It was getting to the point where if we didn't, it would have been very, very yeah. difficult. And what did you raise from the seed? Three and a half million. Three and a half million. Okay, yeah. fine. So two and a half operating capital to get going. Pretty much, yeah. Roughly, yeah. yeah. Plus yeah. or minus. Like it's a, it's, so yeah. that's a million to each of the founders, then half a million to run the boxes. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> okay. wish. We yeah. started taking salaries after that, yeah. which was nice. Yeah. That is a, yeah. a, a, definitely a turning point in most, most founders' journey. When you're like, anything exciting? You're like, I took a salary. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, very this exciting. Is, is very exciting. Do you think there's an aspect of um, the fallout with Facebook and, I mean, granted, I'm reading a book at the moment called uh, Capitalism in the Age of Surveillance or Surveillance Capitalism. And so it's all, it's all about, you know, the big, obviously, Silicon Valley companies and all the data that they own and the understanding, et cetera. Do you think that there is um, a huge aspect of uh, your opportunity at the moment in timing, like the fragmentation of going away from something like Facebook? You know, people seem to be seeking out other places to be in communities, like other ways to express themselves creatively, but still have the sense of being together. I mean, 100%. You know, it's funny. I thought you were going to ask a different question. Um, I thought you were going to say, how do we get them to give us the information given, you know, we live in this world where people are scared about, you know, collecting that data. But no, I think to your point, something that we see in the community all the time is the actual statement, I no longer go on Facebook because I spend so much time in the community. And it's really a much you know, safer place where they can actually get to know each other in a way that you know, traditional social media platforms really don't allow. It's also you know, incredibly positive and supportive. Um, so you know, just recently, there was a woman in our community who couldn't afford to pay her rent. And we saw members actually bond together to send her gift cards and gift baskets. Mm. And I mean, this was just something that they did spontaneously. And we see it all the time. They're actually forming, you know, organic meetups across the U.S. and Canada. And they do that on their own. It's, you know, they're forming these really, you know, true friendships in this digital space. And they wear FabFitFun as this sort of badge of honor. And then they want to see it through in real life. Yeah, that's awesome. That's like the, the, the dream, right? In terms of, you know, where it's kind of like when, you, when you're trying to build a culture inside a team and, uh, you know, culture is what it looks like when you're not there. 
But to have that with your community and your members is like a whole other level of, I would imagine, pride. It is. I mean, look, you know, Dan, Mike, and I all spend, you know, actual personal time in the community. I think sometimes people don't believe it's really us, but it actually is like me sometimes too often in the middle of the night sort of going down this rabbit hole. Um, but it's Katie, cool. Katie, to, to you know, contextualize it, I think I get like one call or two calls a week in the, in the last month with the, did you see what they said in the community because she gets a lot Katie is a, a very public figure yeah. now for yeah. us and no it's the first look and it, so is, it is real they blame time her for everything. information yeah. so that's the thing it's the good and the bad yeah. and we're yeah, very lucky the slack integration because nope. that's the killer that's oh, the worst no. you can start to get really no. low no, oh, no, every second that's... like I, I got tagged in one Instagram thing where it's like at Daniel Brukeem the uh, the boxes aren't shipping and I was like oh this sucks and I'm like the poor Katie's getting tagged like, in gotten... 20, 30 things a day look, it's more. You know, if we yeah. if something is out of stock, yeah. I mean, sometimes they might have said, "Hey, Katie, maybe if you didn't go on vacation or attend events, you could send me my stuff on time." Yeah. Now that is a very small percentage. The majority of it is actually like like strangely positive. So you know, we have one of our wonderful interns who combs through the community, and you know, they document all the nice things that um, our members say about us, but we don't really share it with people because you would you, know, you would think that I am making it up. So it's Literally things like, my house was completely destroyed in a tornado. I was left with absolutely nothing. Then the FabFitFun box came and I felt better. Or, you know, I've been suffering from depression and anxiety for the last 10 years. I haven't been able to leave the house. Then I joined FabFitFun. I found the friends in the community. I started treating myself four times the year. I feel like a new woman. And these are things that we see happen all the time. So, yes, sometimes they get very angry with me, and I feel a little bit pressure to make sure that we tighten up any sort of, you know, shipping or operational concerns that they might have. Um, But certainly, you know, the good that we're creating there, that really positive spirit, um, far outweighs the bad. Question for you. Where do you come up with a number 80 million? Like, what's that about for um, the Series A? So, you know, we do some financial forecasting. Yeah. And in that process, we're like, well, we should have a certain level of buffer in the business if we want to take uh, certain elements of risk or grow things faster. And that, that was a sort of number we landed on uh, in terms of Did it of have like anything a, to do with like the international market specifically? You're going to I think a lot, of it, so a, a lot of it was like, you know, there the few few things that we did immediately. Right. Like, you know, one of the things that's really, really, really important for us is like we always want to ship on time. We want to get the products to the customers in their hands. And we don't want Katie to get tagged with things like, hey, you're not you're not delivering happiness. Right. (laughs) We want to deliver happiness. (laughs) And so there's a huge amount of risk in in sort of our sourcing and supply chain. If I mean, not a huge amount. We've mitigated that risk. Right. Uh, Now, uh, if one of the products fell through. So one of the things that our team was tasked with immediately as soon as we raised the financing is, like, let's build out uh, merchandising contingency plans. So if any one product doesn't come through, we can always f- backfill it with another product and get these boxes out on time, right, and deliver happiness. So, you know, that all of a sudden, that's they call that 10 or 15 million gone, right? All right. Yeah. Gone. Like, not not gone. I mean, it's yeah. it's, 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 it's shifted sh- shifted to inventory. Yeah, yeah, yeah right? of course, of course. And then it's, you know, th- then you talk about the VC as well. We yeah. delivered happiness. Yeah. I don't know where it is, no, no. but it's gone. So, so but we can move on to the next point it, on the it, agenda. It makes the business Somebody much makes, <laughs> makes the business much better and it makes our yeah. make sure that our customers are always getting the best experience possible. Yeah. And I guess I'd like, I'm curious what your, uh, so we talked about the first 10 years. What, what is the second 10 years like? What are you actually able to talk about? I appreciate that, you know, not all of it will be public, but, you know, I'm not asking for your pitch, like where you sit there with uh, Mary Meeker <laughs> and you paint out like what the next 10 years really looks like. 
But give us some idea. Like, what are what are the ambitions? Where do you think you're going to be in you know, 10 years? We, I'd like to say we're just going to do more with more. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> that's very vague and a high level. You know, the, I have a feeling that's not how you got your money. <laughs> it would be a good pitch, though. You just yeah. go in, drop the mic, bugger off afterwards. No, no we, we, we literally had what looked like, I think, a 30-year roadmap yeah. in our investor presentations. Like, the, the limit to which you can, like, you know, if you're creating new product experiences where it's either launching our own brands or doing initiatives with celebrities where we're working with their brands to create new experiences. Like, you think of the infinite amount of creativity that, that is enabled by our platform uh, just on the product side or the content side or, frankly, even the community side where, yeah, you know, we're just scratching the surface. I think it would be foolish to say we know exactly what the next 30 years are going to look like. But, like, you know, we have an incredible team. Uh, You know, we have at least the next three to five years probably pretty laid out. And, you know, we have an incredible ear for the customer and sort of what we think will drive the most value for them. And that's sort of our guiding light at the end of the day. So I think if we continue to listen to our customers, hear what they have to say, uh, and find things that are going to be very valuable, because one thing I should note, and we step away, is like Katie mentioned this earlier, right? The same sort of notion of like delivering happiness, delivering happiness and well-being. And, and now it's, you know, we, we sort of rethought our mission statement as delivering happiness and well-being to everyone everywhere, right? That's a broad, sweeping mandate. And it, it, it's, so what that really insinuates is men? So we launched a men's box last year. Um, it's not a subscription. We consider it a member perk because it's something that only members can buy for their husbands, brothers, dads, et cetera. And in the sort of similar history or track record, you know, that box sold out exceptionally fast. Um, we just launched another version of that, and you'll start to see, you know, two curations a year mm. um, in that space. And look, we know that men are spending more money on themselves. They're becoming much more savvy in the world of, you know, fashion and beauty and understanding that, you know, products can actually make a real difference in their lives. And I think this idea of, you know, going through our women first um, feels right because, you know, they are sort of the guiding light when it comes to some of these, you know, trends. And I and I think that's been a, a really fun piece over the last 12 months. And besides, men always ask for their opinion regardless. Well, 100%. I think, look, I think the landscape is changing. You know, I look at my husband who is did not know what a moisturizer was before we met. But God knows he understands now and he's, you know, he's lathering it all over his body. <laughs> and I'm like, please, that's not where that goes, you know? Like, don't waste the expensive stuff. Yeah. Um, but no, but I mean, that's an adjustment, right? And I think, you know, he's still, um, you know, he finds that discovery through through me. And I think that's how a lot of sort of men navigate that world today. I completely agree. Okay. So coming towards the end of the interview, because you're busy people, you've got other things to do. And I'd like to pretend to you that I am as well. So <laughs> let's, just, uh, let's just go with that party line. You guys mentioned, um, you know, you've been going at it for 10 years. You look like you've got lots of energy. Um, I mean, you live in LA. So, you know, I'm assuming that all that sunlight does help. Help a little. It helps a little. But are there moments where you're just like, look, we have been doing this for 10 years and maybe someone else is better to do X, Y, and Z over this next stage? Does that ever creep into your mind? Or a different way to ask the question, are you human? Do you have self-doubts? I mean, look, Dan is incredibly confident, and I think that's actually one of his greatest gifts. I have been in meetings with him where I have been floored with what he has the ability to ask for. And the amazing part about it is that more than half the time, people say yes, right? And you never know what they're going to say unless you're willing to put yourself out there. And I always feel incredibly inspired by it. And I really do think it's, you know, changed the way that I negotiate and just have conversations. It's just that sort of open-minded way of thinking about things. 
I don't know. I mean, I'm also a mom. I have a kid. Uh, I have a three and a six year old, and um, I think you know, trying to balance it all feels really challenging at times, and can feel a little overwhelming. And I am a person that really you know thinks about the future a lot and what that has to look like. Um, but I, you know, I I feel really secure in the fact that we have an amazing team. I mean, we have really really smart, dedicated, talented people at the helm um, who I believe will 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 t- continue to help us grow for a very long time. So a question to both of you. What do you think you have personally sacrificed the most in your journey over the last 10 years? I will say one of the things that I feel conscious of the most is my fitness, honestly. And it's hard because, you know, I want to walk the walk of what we, you know, preach at FabFitFun and that wellness is such a huge part of, um, should be a part of everybody's lives. But I think, look, like suddenly two babies and a lot of, you know, meetings, events and travel later. And, you know, it can be really hard to find time to fit it in. I mean, look, I think that's one of the reasons that we love FabFitFun TV is like trying to fit it in at home when I'm like, you know, have already put the kids to bed, but, you know, still not as, um, you know, in the habits that I, I kind of wish that I had been once when I was going to the gym every single day. But I believe that that will they'll evolve. It's going to come back. <laughs> Everything ebbs and flows. Yes. Yeah. What about you, Dan? I think it's different things at different points in time. Like there was definitely a point in time where I had sacrificed my fitness and my health. Uh, and then last year, as I said, I, I sort of like said, okay, I'm going to try to take care of this now. And this, and, and that's sort of lasted, which is good, mm-hmm. right? There's, you know, the fits, it starts along the way for a lot of people who have, you know, gained weight, lost weight or whatever it is, or, you know, t- didn't treat their body the way they should. Uh, but now I'm a, that's more concerted effort. I think like at times, like quality time with the people I care about and like presence gets sacrificed because you're so preoccupied with a business and like learning how to separate those two and like say, okay, well, now I'm going to put my phone down. Right. Right. Well, it's just the fact that we live in this digital space yeah. and it never turns off. Right. Like there's no off button. If that's yeah. fun, the shop doesn't close at the end of the day because it's yeah. <laughs> stores space. open 24 right? hours I a mean, day. These are things that you I mean, and not only that, our members can actually talk to us 24 hours a day very, very directly. Yeah. So, look, I have that problem, too. It's hard. Yeah. To and, it and these are things that I actually think like as employers. Right. I think we need to think about these things for yes. the people who work with us. Leading by right? Because if, you know, if you're looking at, and I'm, I'm the most guilty. Right. And I was reading this book on leadership is like, put your phone away. Right. And I'm constantly looking at my phone during meetings, during things. And I'm like, OK, well, why am I taking this meeting if I know I'm going to look at my phone the whole time? And like those are like little things that like I'm starting to think about and like how to how to make those modifications. But like, well, I think we just started to institute like a no laptop policy during a meeting because it's just too easy. You know, yeah. no one does it intentionally to stop. Like they want to listen. They are there for a reason. Yeah. But like God knows when that slack noise like pops up, you just it's habit. <laughs> so I think one thing that we've all sacrificed almost as a society is uh, undivided attention. Yeah. And and like. It's coming Just to that presence in general. Yeah, and I went away uh, to Big Sur about a week a weekend ago, and they they said like, hey, this is my friend who's hosting this event, and it's sort of like a weekend. We really wanted to be a getaway where people got to to spend time with each other and explore. And, and he's like, you have to give me your phone for ten hours, right? And that was wait, did you do it? I did. I mean, I, I went and, and snuck a peek like a few times, yeah, right? Because I was like, okay, well, you know, no one's used to me not being on the phone for ten hours. What if yeah, someone yeah, gets? Think I'm dead. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. And I was like, okay, but I realized that as soon as I picked up the phone and I saw the messages on the phone, right, it actually caused a little bit of anxiety for me, yeah, of right? I was like, I'm getting sucked right back in. So 
if I had to set a personal goal for myself, like in the next year or two, it's like, how do I bring back or how do I, I'm not even sure I ever had it, right? That mm-hmm. notion of creating that quality time or that undivided well, attention. Well, you did. There was a time when you didn't have a cell phone in your hand all the time. But yeah, but the, the, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, look, a couple of wrap-up questions for you guys. This is a hard one on the basis of um, it doesn't sound like there's many things, but, you know, if there was something, if you could do it all again to this point, you know, you're nine years in, is there something major you think you change? I mean, I think we would have pivoted sooner. <laughs> I don't know. I think we yeah, – like establishing ourselves as a content brand first, I actually think it did a very – very good service for us. I, I think Maybe was, not revenue-wise, but <laughs> in the world of a future member, I think it was really interesting. I, I think it was definitely great that we established the brand and the voice early on. And I think that having those, I agree with Katie, having those media roots has been very, very beneficial. And whether that was driven by a vision versus the sure. <laughs> order of operations is a, 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 a question that uh, we'll never know. I would say it's more order of operations than I mean, yes, that than, is than 100% vision, but well. there's a lot, like, a lot of things that you would do differently, right? And if you didn't do them differently, then I guess you wouldn't have learned anything along the way. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I don't want to... I think s- we maybe I, I would have suggested regret. ramping up hiring a little bit faster. We were so lean and mean for so long. I think hiring, hiring really quality people, spending a little more deeply early on we, is... We are very cheap. Our head of finance <laughs> has actually told me to spend more money. I don't think that's ever happened in the history yeah. of companies before. Yeah, I think but the funny thing is what Katie is saying is a, is a true statement. The first time we did our AOP planning... Uh, which is an annual operating plan. Uh, our head of finance came and said, this is the first time where like what I had down, I didn't have to tell anyone to cut any, anything back, yeah. right? And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, well, you know, I, I had said, like, I think these people need this much budget. And no one asked for more than what I had sort of projected they would ask for, mm. um, I think, which is rare. That's no longer the case. <laughs> <laughs> Finally uh, spending money. Yeah. Okay, good. No, everyone came back with these massive plans. And so you're like, wait, hold on, guys. Like, we're still well, that balance. company. We're it's not this company. Uh, have, that you, you, have, have you made any, like, terrible hiring decisions? Terrible. I think we've definitely. I mean, yes. we made bad decisions. Yes. Sure. Oh. T- terrible. Look, forgive uh, me for being British and using, names, using an exaggerated like I, yeah, negative you know, term. The, 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 the terrible hiring decisions only become terrible if you let them stay. Yeah, right. True. And so, like, you know, fire uh, fast, fire fast. Yeah, older dash. Yeah, well, I and, and I think, we, like, as you get old, like, this is a conversation going on with our head of people, which is like, is it hire fast, fire fast as you get bigger, or do we want to be a little bit more deliberate in our hiring? And I think that's yeah. a, it's a it's mm-hmm. a thing that as you get bigger, you have to be wrestle with it because we have elements of our business that are still very startup and early stage, and like you kind of these people are moving very quickly to build new businesses, and then we have elements that are more growth-oriented, infrastructure-oriented nature, and, like, you you know, it's not clear that you can get those those decisions wrong. Yeah, we've definitely made bad, terrible <laughs> hires. Okay. Yeah. All right. Just wanted to check again, you know, this, you've got a, a great story, but, you know, we need to know that you're human and you made mistakes as well along the way, just in case. Yeah. I will say one other mistake that we, we probably made earlier on, and this is very specific to our brand, is that, you know, we work with different partners in different ways. Mm. And one of the things that we wanted to introduce was this idea of sponsored products. Um, so basically, like, you know, advertisements within the box, not dissimilar to like a, a, a commercial on TV or something in a magazine. Um, but we did a really um, terrible job of communicating that to our members. So we sent out the box and, um, you know, we had been approached by a, a company and, and they wanted to seed something in the box. And not only were they going to give us 
the free product, they were going to pay us to do it. Um, and so it was panty liners. And, you know, there's, like, nothing cool or sexy about panty liners. But, I mean, free extra product and money. It was like, why wouldn't we do this? This is going to be the best new piece of our business that's ever existed. So we sent out the panty liners. And members were not happy. They thought that they were getting penny liners, like, instead of an eyeshadow palette or instead of a scarf, and they were fucking pissed. I mean, it was really, like, the backlash that we received, not to mention that, you know, we have a very diverse age group in our membership, and some women are not using penny liners. And so they were really mad, and I think, you know, one of the— very, you know, clear lessons that we learned was to over-communicate to our community. I mean, we have this tool. We actually have an opportunity where we can tell them what's going on. We have a magazine that's both digital and in, and, and in our glossy magazine. And so, you know, being able to, you know, have that back and forth, you know, with our members has been incredibly important because you think about it, you know, they're paying us for something that they actually have no idea what it is. And so if we can't maintain that trust with them, they're not going to be a member. Yeah, again, your business proposition is curation. So yep. they have to trust that that is well no, curated. I, I wouldn't say cura- curation is a big part of it, but it's also information. It's customization. Enter- enter- entertainment. entertainment yeah. Yeah. And I'd say like connectedness, hmm. right? Like I think the community yeah. piece, like that's another thing. And so those are like four pillars that to me that sort yeah. of stand out. And like Katie sort of alluded to them in, in great detail. It was like you learn about the products and people want more information. They want to know what ingredients are in there. And, you know, you make it fun with the content and then, you know, you can share with people who are also FAFIPA members. And of course, curation is, is very core. Part of it, yeah. yeah. Final question. What is actually a two-parter, two-parter, and there's two of you, so four-parter. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given by someone else? For me, I think it was from my parents and that it was, you know, always to follow the passion rather than the money. And, you know, hopefully the money follows after that. But, you know, in truth, you know, there are... That's how you ended up on Jackass. Yes, exactly. Um, No, but there are more... Obsessed with Steve-O. I I do love me some Steve-O. But no, in most weeks I spend more time with my coworkers than I do with my family. And if you actually don't really feel passionate about what you're doing, there's no way that equation will ever make sense. It just, it does not work. That's a really tough question. I I think, you know, uh, somewhere along the way, I think someone said you can learn something from almost anyone. And so I think that's always been a philosophy that I've sort of taken on. I believe that's so true. Yeah. Like, and so like, I think having that sort of open mentality about like, oh, like there's, there's something to be learned from this interaction, this conversation is is a is a really good valuable thing and 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 being being smart also about um like not necessarily repeating mistakes right like if someone else Hopefully. has done it yeah the so, first time it's okay then yeah. let's not try and well do not, it again. not even that like repeating the mistakes that other people have done oh, yeah, right and like a, a lot of times from, like yeah. you you just ping someone else who's done it before yeah, and it saves you so much time and energy and effort like you know where you could be just banging your head against the wall so um i think those are two things where like develop develop mentors was a good piece of advice that i got early on and like you know when i have questions about things i just you know call one of 10 people or like well, you know I, someone else who's i think that's really good advice because yeah. i think that people always assume that everyone is too busy to help but yeah. there's so many studies that show that people actually love to be asked for help you feel good about ourselves when someone yeah. deems us worthy to give them advice um, so I, you know, and I think women especially get a little afraid to to ask, you know, mm-hmm. questions from people that they admire. So, you know, just doing it. 
Yeah. I mean, it was my number one mistake in my last business was I just didn't ask for help yeah. and I should have done. And I you can ask for people, all, all sorts of people will help you. Yeah, totally. Way, yeah. yeah totally. Um, okay, well, last bit of help for our listeners. What's the best piece of advice you've got for them? If it's a company building thing, I think, like, don't understate the importance of culture, right? And I think uh, – and I feel it's almost cliche now because I feel like now everyone's probably saying this. But I think early on, at least for me, like, not realizing how important that could be as a part of the fabric of the company is a great credit to, you know, obviously, my brother and Katie, my co-founders, who were relentlessly focused on creating this extremely positive environment. And I think, like, that was something that, like, you know, I've obviously now adopted – Right. But, uh, you know, I think that was that's it wasn't obvious to you to me. What was obvious is like we need to have enough cash in the bank. Right. And we need to make money. We need to have a product that people like like those felt obvious. And I think like the sustaining edge is, well, actually, we need to create a culture that people are really happy being here. And like that perpetuates itself, because at some point it's no longer about the few assortment of individuals. It's it's literally you know something that you're sort of looking sitting on top of. Right. And you get to 500 people full time and another couple hundred who are basically full time. But you're like, well, (laughs) there's not much I can do today. (laughs) Like I can have a few conversations, but like it's going to take three months for the change that I want to happen, be implemented, rolled out. Um, So (laughs) people better be happy here. I'm going to say don't obsess about perfection, Um, you know, whether that's just in life as a human being. I honestly think, you know. Perfection is boring. It's really and it's a it's a pointless ambition. But as it sort of relates to work, I think, you know, one of the interesting things about the way that we started was, you know, we didn't have a tremendous, or at least I'll speak for myself, did not have a tremendous experience, you know, doing what I do today. But there was something really nice about that because we weren't restricted by the way things were supposed to run. We were really open to, you know, trying and testing a lot of things and throwing away the ones that didn't work and then leading into the ones that did. And look, that meant that it was very far from perfect all of the time. But it's also, I do believe, like where we found our greatest successes. Guys, thank you so much. Time has flown by. And I think there's nothing left to say other than if you have been listening and you enjoy what you heard, obviously go sign up for FabFitFun. Yes. Yeah. Very excited. Good. Thank you so much. That was awesome. Thank you, guys. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Next week on Secret Leaders. As we talk about, you get curveballs, and my curveball was I got cancer. So that's the, the thing that gave me the crossroads in my life and made me change where I was going. The first two years, we were bleeding money, and now I can admit it because we're through the other end. But oh my goodness, I was literally at one point had my hand over something that was literally gushing money everywhere. That was Joe Malone and Justine Roberts of Mumsnet. We brought together two of the UK's most loved and experienced entrepreneurs with extremely different perspectives on the hustle of the journey, parenting and reflections from what they've learned. It's a real cracker. So tune in or you'll miss out.
We hope you enjoyed this episode. It was brought to you by me, Dan Murray-Serta, producer Rich Martell, editor Harry Morton of Lower Street Media, and marketing by Hannah Russell of Mags Creative and stunning visual design by our talented designer, Christina Naru of SmartUpVisuals.com. You can check out show notes, transcripts, and our upcoming live events on our website, secretleaders.com. If you've not yet, please hit subscribe, leave us a review, tell a friend, take a screenshot of this episode and add it to an Insta story. I mean, you know what to do. And tag us at Secret Leaders or at Dan Murray Serta, and we'll add you to our story in appreciation back. Rich and I put together Secret Leaders for free because we love our day jobs as entrepreneurs, but every time someone takes the time to share it, it means a lot to us. So don't forget, it's the little things like that that keep us coming back every week and every year into the studio. See you next week.